0: Christianity, along with all other theistic belief systems, is the fraud of the age. It serves to detach the species from the natural world and likewise each other. It supports blind submission to authority. It reduces human responsibility to the effect that God controls everything and in turn, awful crimes can be justified in the name of a divine pursuit. And most importantly, it empowers those who know the truth but use the myth to manipulate and control societies. To be grown up about it. If you say to me, Am I a Christian? I say to you, if you strive to do good, then you're a Christian. You can break their if you don't seek to hurt or betray others. You you're a Christian. If you're true to yourself, and treat others as you'd have them treat you, you're a Christian. The more a person parades their Christianity for the benefit of others, the less I'm inclined to trust the Christianity they claim to bring. To ...following them, and then proceed to shuck and devour the helpless creatures en masse. I don't know what that says to you, but to me, it says that following these faiths, based on mythological figures ensures the destruction of one's inner being. Organized religion destroys who we are by inhibiting our actions, by inhibiting our decisions, out of, out of fear of some, some intangible parent figure who, who shakes a finger at us from thousands of years ago and says... So what's it like being famous, Dad? People know your name, but you don't know theirs. It's great. Dad, do you wear boxers or briefs? Nope. What religion are you? You know, the one with all the well-meaning rules that don't work out in real life. Uh, Christianity. (laughs) Is it wrong that I love the Simpsons? Not sure. Probably shows off my immaturity, huh? What are you going to do? All right. Historian Arnold Toynbee says this. Most people have not rejected Christianity... But a caricature. In the preceding video, we saw four of Hollywood's most common caricatures of the Christian faith. Right? Christianity first is a weapon. Right? Meant to reserve and exercise power over people. Control them. Christianity, Oprah Winfrey style. Which is, if you're true to yourself and you treat others well, well then that makes you a Christian. We heard about Christianity as a big moral downer, right? That it actually inhibits us, restricts us. And finally, Christianity as the fence around your yard, right? That it's comforting and well meaning, but ultimately ineffective. So many people buy into these caricatures as representative of what's at the heart of Christianity. What makes it unique? And what makes Christianity unique, which no other faith, which no other religion, which not even the world can offer, is grace. Our big word for this morning, as it was last week, uh, is this word grace. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Last week, we talked about grace in terms of it being this ultimate gift, which is the ultimate example of grace, by the way, the ultimate gift. Of salvation through Jesus Christ. But this morning, we're gonna talk about grace for the day by day. Now, I'm afraid there's a belief out there that the gospel of grace is only for salvation. Right? But once you're saved, see, once you're saved by grace, you need to move on and do the Christian life. Have you heard that message before? Saved by grace, but now it's time to do the Christian life. People, even us pastor-minister types, we may not actually come out and state this, right? We may not say it from our pulpits or admit it with our actions outright, but aren't we really saying that sometimes? We think, how else will people grow if we don't promote the grace is terrific early on, but now you got to do more. How else will people give to a church if we don't start to kind of subtly guilt them into it? How else will people serve as they're called to serve if we don't constantly reveal the needs in the ministry and play slow-motion videos of our children said to Michael W. Smith songs. How else will people share their faith if we don't tell them about all the non-Christians not being reached by you? The results of this kind of motivation can be devastating. Gradually, these caricatures of Christianity Guilt, shame, obligation, works righteousness. You've heard them. You've seen them. They begin to motivate everything we do for Jesus. They begin to fuel us. And so eventually our faith just starts to shrivel up and die. Friends, grace was, not meant, was, was meant to not only change our eternal destinies, but also our everyday living. So let's pray that it will. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, may that be true from us this morning, Lord. that we would go from here and that grace, your real tangible active grace, would make a difference in our everyday living, that it would be the fuel that propels us. It would be the engine that drives the Christian life. Lord, I pray that your grace would even be upon the sermon this morning, Lord. That would bring about real change through your words primarily, Lord, but also through mine. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to review a little bit this week uh, by looking at Romans 5, 12 through 21, like we did last week, which is on page 807 in the Bibles we provided for you. So if you can turn there, that'd be great. Romans 5, verse 12. But first, I want us to review our definition of grace. Over the years of just study, meditation, prayer, talking about it with other Christians. Crafted this following definition for grace, which I think gets at its core. You may have heard of grace defined as getting something you don't deserve, and it's a great way of thinking about it, an easy way to memorize it. But at its core, grace is God's love made active through an undeserved gift. God's love made active through an undeserved gift. Grace begins with God's passionate love for his people. And He loves them so much He wants to demonstrate that love to them. Actively demonstrate that love to them. So He begins with creating us an active love, right? Moving through sending His Son, Jesus, to save us. To the very air we breathe. It's a gift, right? To the, to the lucky charms we ate before we came to church today, right? Anyone? Lucky charms? No? Count Chocula? No? Cookie crisps, man! You guys are a healthy congregation. I'm impressed. You're gonna be around for a while, and I'm very thankful. Well, that every everything is a gift of grace. That's why the great mid 20th century theologian Karl Barth said this. He said, "Grace must find expression in life; otherwise, it is not grace." it uh, might be love, right? Love is a quality possessed, right? Or a, an affection felt. But to make that love active, it's grace. Now on to Romans 5 here. Now we did a more in-depth study on Romans 5 last week that you can actually grab online www.sunrise.ky It's much more in depth last week. But this week I'm just going to give you a quick but important summary. Alright. What jumped out at us. Or should have jumped out at us. As the climax of this passage is verse 20. Alright. Romans 5 verse 20. Which says this. Now the law came in. To increase the trespass. Or the sin. But where sin increased. Grace increased. Increased or abounded all the more. Friends, it should have stood out to us so palpably, so starkly, because the thing that was supposed to most help people in their fight against sin was the law, the holy law. That was the weapon. But the law actually came in to increase the most offensive, reprehensible thing to God. And in turn, where the most reprehensible thing in God's sight increased, God forgave more. And he did so freely. Do you see the crazy chain of events here? Holy law. Brought about sin, the worst thing possible. But then where sin increased, God's forgiveness increased, and it was for free. This was, to Paul's readers, the scam of all scams, right? This can't be possible. It seemed too good to be true. And you know what? Paul, Paul knew it. He knew it. And so he spends verses 12 through 19. Again, you can look at this later. Go to the sermon last week. But he, verse ni- 12 through 19, he spends giving evidence. Showing that no, this Jesus can. It makes sense that he is the only one who can give this grace. So he basically gives them a reason to believe the too good to be true. So this morning... I want us to examine one central question. It's kind of a two part question. And it's this What today seems too good to be true about grace? And how can that impact the way that you and I live? All right. What today seems too good to be true about this idea of grace? And remember, the temptations to buy into all these christian characters caricatures right the guilt the shame the obligation the works righteousness the tradition the habit doesn't make any difference so many think of christianity but grace it's real but it's surprising seems too good to be true how so number one it's all gift grace is all gift the deck, the deck is... scat. Oh, oh my gosh, there's a bird in here. Wow. Any, any uh, bird tamers who can control that? Anyone who's just... To be like the falconer, right? Yeah, I'll just have them land on me. Alright. Uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Alright, it's all gift. Everything is a gift. Back to, the, to Romans 5. Why would somebody give me a gift when all I can give only thing I can give is the very thing that most offends and insults them why would someone give a gift to me wouldn't it make more sense when God be actually wise to give me some grace and just see how things go right kind of like a 60 day trial period right a probationary period of grace let's see how you do but God offers free, eternally effective forgiveness all at once. All at once. And then proceeds to shower grace upon grace upon us. That's God's way of doing grace. Man. But doesn't it have something to do with me and what I do? That's why people have a hard time believing it's all gift. That's just too scandalous. James 1.17 says this, That every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. We have a Father who does not change. He is a giver all the time a giver and so everything becomes gift I remember years ago I was had uh, a baseball game uh, sitting out on a lawn watching some fireworks with friends right it was kind of a fourth of july deal and which is a independence day in the states and we shoot off a lot of fireworks because as you know in the united states we like big flashy things And I remember uttering, man, uh, what a gift of God's grace. You know, fireworks. Right? I was younger then. All right? To which, though, one one, one friend of mine uh, responded, come on, man. Trees, creeks, bunny rabbits, I get that. But man makes fireworks. right? And then he sells them illegally. All right? And I was like, yeah, well... But who gave man the mind to think of creating combustible materials, right? And then encasing them inside these little paper wrappings, right? And combining it all to produce these brilliant colors and shapes. Like, come on. That's quite a mind. That's some serious creativity imitating our creator, Right? And that's the truth about grace. Everything can be traced back to God through grace. Right? Every good thing. The chairs you're sitting in now. The clothes you're wearing. Everything can be traced back to God and His grace. And so can every godly action and impulse. Every godly action and impulse can be traced back to grace. Now, a true Christian... When I think about action. A true Christian works harder than anyone. But always looks back and realizes that they hardly worked at all. That they hardly worked at all. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, it's not up on the slides. If you want to turn with me, you can. Or you can just listen. 1 Corinthians fifteen ten. Paul says this this way. I love this verse. He says, look by the only by the grace of god i am what i am his grace towards me was not in vain listen to this on the contrary i worked harder than any of them he was talking about his fellow apostles i worked harder than anyone though it was not i but the grace of god that is with me do you hear that i worked harder than anyone but it wasn't me was the grace of God that was with me. There's the tension. And you know this if you know God's grace. Man you go to the cross you receive forgiveness. Man you do it. And you work hard and then you look back and you think man God did a lot. It is awesome. Even our impulses our our gifts. Every divine impulse is a gift. Turning from sin to God is a gift. But so is even the impulse to turn to God. Desiring God is a gift. But even the desire to desire God is a gift, right? Have you ever said that before? I want to want God. I, mean, I just want to want God. Even that is a gift of God's grace. Which is why some of the worst advice we can give people when they're struggling with, with sin or have a hard time just trusting God, some of the worst advice we can give is try harder, work harder, do more. Right? What they often need is just to run to the cross to receive grace. What they often need is prayer that God might grant more faith. Because even faith is what? A gift, not by works, so no one can boast. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It's all gift. But let me tell you something, friends. This gift does not come without a major temptation. All gift comes with a major temptation, and it is this to keep back just a little bit of credit for oneself. Just a smidgen. For oneself. I mentioned James 1, 17 earlier. But I held back an important verse for you, which is James 1, 16. Paul says, right before he talks about every good and perfect gift comes from above, he first says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Do you see that? Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. How might they be deceived? Certain gifts are of our own making, right? That certain things were accomplished by them. Or it's mostly God, but I contributed a little bit, right? Like an 80-20 kind of partnership. But where? Beware the phrase, God and me are partners, right? Bonnie and Clyde, Sonny and Cher. If God is somehow my partner, fine. But at best, then I'm like the Siamese deformed head on his off shoulder. You know what I mean? Like one of these things. It's a Halloween analogy for you, right? At best, I'm like this thing right here. You know, the freaky looking thing. At best, it's why you ever notice that God will call someone in the Bible a friend. Happens every once in a while. Abraham, Jesus said it, John 15. But did you ever notice, no one ever calls God friend. Why is that? The people who are most likely to be called friends, Abraham and the disciples, they would never do that. Because God is the giver of all good things. This is not an equal relationship. He is the giver of all good things. It's not a 50-50 deal. It's not an 80-20. Man, it is 100%. Jesus. How does this impact the way we live enjoy the present we can enjoy the present and by the way yes that is a double meaning double entendre enjoy the present meaning both enjoy the time of the present and the gift present enjoy the present you like that double meaning come on oh man this is why you guys come i know it that's what oh i got a boo unbelievable Uh, Thank you. Thank you for the sympathy. I appreciate that. You can enjoy and give thanks for each grace in front of you now if you're always dwelling in the past. And I know that kind of sounds like one of the cheesy platitudes at the end of one of those forwarded email chains, right? You know, those email chains are sometimes interesting, but they always end with something like, don't dwell in the past Email this to someone in your future, right? You know what I'm talking about? But this was actually Paul's plan of action. Let's look at Philippians three, twelve through 14. Paul says this about knowing Jesus and knowing him better. He says, not that I have already obtained this. I haven't already obtained knowing Jesus as intimately as I would like not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing that I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. These are powerful verses. I don't know if you've heard these before. They're often used to remember the importance of putting behind our sins, our failures, and straining ahead towards Jesus. But Paul is also saying we must also move on beyond the successes and the victories towards what God has next in store for us. Because if we don't move on, we may miss out on the great gift of grace he has next up. But there's also another problem if we don't move on. Pride starts to develop in our lives. Right? What starts as a gift ends up being something we take a little ownership over. I find this often happens when I share my faith. Right? When I've shared my faith. I finally worked up the courage right? To share my faith with someone else. Yeah, I'm a preacher but I still struggle with that. You know? But I do it. And I maybe even see some response, some fruit. And so God has gifted me, has graced me with the opportunity to share his salvation with someone. And he's graced me with the obedience to follow through. He's helped me with that, strengthened me to do that. And then I live off the residual fumes for weeks. You know what I'm saying? The resi- residual fumes of the gas tank. First, of course, I'm going to be sharing this as a praise with my community group, right? Right? All right, praise to share. Uh, share shared the gospel this week. So let me tell you the story. You know, I spent about five minutes. How I did it. What happened. It was hard, but God came through. Right. And then two weeks later, I'm I'm using something in that encounter uh, over lunch with somebody. Right. Let me share with you my approach with my good friend Don. How I shared my faith with him. Of course, he's a good friend now. Right. Over two weeks. It's gone from this gracious encounter to, yeah, yeah, well, we're pretty close. We're pretty close. Those, those 15 minutes together were amazing, right? And then, of course, for me, a month later, then it turns into a sermon illustration, right? Which means it's happening now. <laughs> Yikes. i going to watch out for that. But what Paul says, praise him, but then move on. Thank him and move on, right? Strain ahead towards knowing Jesus and enjoy the present grace He has in store for you. One thing that's surprising about grace today and why it matters for living—if that doesn't hit home for you, maybe the second one does. What's also surprising about grace today, what seems too good to be true about grace today, is that it works. Not simply for eternal life, but for real, everyday life. Grace works. Most skeptics think, and even many of us, in an honest moment, view grace as a license to what? To sin. It was a challenge that Paul was all too familiar with, the Apostle Paul. In fact, right after our last verse in Romans 5... He begins Romans chapter six with this. Romans six verses one through two. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that we have to get more grace? By no means. That's a strong word, Meganoito." That's the strongest no Paul can give. It's like saying, "Heck, no." All right? Very strong. But you know, the people's nature. Our nature is sinful. So our nature is to find loopholes, right? And manipulate what's available to us. People find a loophole in sin knowing that we always have forgiveness later. God's pronouncement of forgiveness and writing and it in the heavens doesn't really help Christians obey the law. But friends, to say this assumes something. Alright? It assumes something about grace. I want us to get this. Assumes something about grace. It assumes that grace is somehow the equivalent of what I'll call hallmark sentimentalism. Hallmark sentimentalism. Everyone familiar with hallmark, the greeting card? You see, grace is power and love combined. Psalm 62 11 through 12 the psalmist says this. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this. Now this is important. I want to stop here for a minute. In the Old Testament, when there are disputed legal cases of grave importance and implications, matters had to be settled and confirmed by two or three witnesses. All right? And we see this pattern of taking oaths. Confirming things, head even into the New Testament, right? Where, you know, Jesus says that when how many are gathered, will He be with them in a special way? Two or three, right? The Apostle Paul says if you're going to bring a charge against an elder, you need to bring two or three witnesses. So we see this pattern. Why is that important? What the psalmist is saying here, he's ending the psalm this way, he's saying, I am sure of this. I've heard God say it once, twice I have heard. That means it's been declared twice. What's been declared twice? That power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Power and love combined. That is grace. Remember? God's love made active. Many of us think of God's forgiveness as merely this kind of eternal matter, something to be believed in from afar so that we'll begin to trust Him. But love without power is hallmark sentimentalism, right? It's a greeting card. It's a candy gram. It's flowers at the door. It's a note on the mirror. It's a box of chocolates. It's a candlelight dinner. Nice. You know, may help alleviate the pain, but doesn't really change anything. That's what many people think about grace. Maybe that's what we think about grace. Friends, grace does two things. One, it always cleanses one's heart in reality. Always cleanses one's heart in reality. And when we realize what God has done through Jesus, even though we were his enemies, we start to want to please him, want to obey his law. But it really cleanses our hearts. When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse your hearts from all unrighteousness. That's a real cleansing that goes on. And then we start to want to obey him. Man. I see my sin. It's serious. It's a stain and yet you clean it, God. But secondly, there's always lurking the potential power of grace to break through and do something even more radical. Even in my most vile and most callous, I can become more than I am at any one moment because of grace. Grace even when surrounded by injustice, when surrounded by an utter lack of regard for other people's feelings, I'm surrounded by indifference from other people, grace can change it. It can. Even when a family member or a friend has had their hearts hardened towards the Lord for years, he can step in and grace any person in any situation with an irresistible overcoming all odds change and because he is by nature gracious we should expect that he will in my home country in the United States. We're going to have some elections for seats in our Senate and Congress here in a couple of weeks. One election um, that has received a lot of attention is uh, for the Senate seat in Delaware. Which is kind of weird because no one ever pays attention to Delaware in the United States if you know anything about the US. Just kinda, of, what? Something's happening in Delaware, that's crazy. But a Republican or a conservative Tea Party candidate there who also claims to be an evangelical Christian named Christine O'Donnell, received a lot of flack, a lot of sort of bad attention, when one pundit aired a comment of hers. It was a comment that she had made over a decade ago in a public forum where she said that she had dabbled in witchcraft. All right, she had dabbled in witchcraft. And it was so serious to her that she even responded couple of weeks later, with a commercial saying, I am not a witch. All right? And <laughs> you can imagine. By the way, it's kind of funny. She told someone recently what she was going to dress up for for Halloween. She said, I'm not going to be a witch. I was just smart of her. Now, I don't mean any of this as a political statement. Either way, I'm not getting into that so much. But the fact that people won't let it go shows you how most feel about the potential power of grace. About the Christian faith and the potential power of grace. It's like Homer Simpson said up there earlier, right? Well-meaning, but doesn't make a difference. Can't change a person. Your primary past, your past primarily, excuse me, determines who you are now. you know what, that statement's true, right? Past does to primarily determine who we are now, if not for God's grace. We should expect even, right, even political candidates to be changed, such as the potential power of God's grace. There's a temptation here as well though, The antithesis of faith and potential grace is to lower our expectations, right? To lower the bar far enough. Why? So we never disappointed. And that we never get hurt. But then again, we'll never believe God to break in and do the surprising, the too good to be true, the impossible. God is in the business of doing. Indeed, he prefers doing things that most people have written off as impossible. And the challenge then for the Christian is to believe that he will break in with a great work of grace. Right? And when though, when it doesn't look the way we thought, when he shows another plan other than the one that we expected, the challenge is to remember he's always giving something greater. Always giving something greater. If you remember this prayer in Ephesians 3, it's this great prayer that Paul prays in the end. He says, To him who can do more than we can ask or imagine. Sometimes, friends, the more that we can ask or imagine is growing patience in us, building up trust in us. Right? Growing endurance and perseverance in us sometimes it's forming a testimony in us that we can one day share with others to bless them or it's the amazing greater gift of forming Christ in us right sometimes he's doing that when we expected some more tangible fireworks show So grace matters because it works. There is a change that takes place in simply receiving forgiveness, having our hearts cleansed, so that we want to respond by obeying his law. But there's also an extended work of grace that is always potentially ready to explode into life and change my history, your history, Cayman's history, the world's history. If we don't believe that about grace what do we really think about it? Close to this. Years ago in a large city in the western United States a certain uh, Catholic woman was purportedly having visions of Jesus. And the rumors reached the archbishop about these visions she was having so he thought man I'd best do a I best do a heresy check, right? Make sure this woman ain't crazy. So he goes to her and he says, is it true, ma'am, you've been having visions of Jesus? She just simply states, uh, yeah, yes, it's true. Well, next time you have a vision, ask Jesus to tell you the sins I confessed in my last confession. What? You want me to ask Jesus to share with me the sins that you confessed in your last confession? He said, yes. All right. He said, well, please tell me if anything happens. About 10 days passed when the archbishop got a phone call. and The woman was on the other line. She said, please come down right away. Within an hour, he's there. You just told me on the telephone that you had a vision of Jesus. Did you do what I asked? Yes. Yes, Bishop. I asked Jesus to to tell me the sins that you confessed in your last confession. The Bishop leaned forward, right? Well, what did he say? She took his hand, gazed intently into his eyes. Bishop, these are his exact words. I can't remember. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, is that really true about grace? Do you really cleanse us to the point where you forget sin? as your word says, taking it from as far as the east is from the west. Lord, I believe it is true. Lord, so help us. Help us apply this grace, this real act of love in our lives to our lives. Help us return to the cross daily to receive forgiveness for sin. Help us Go to your word to listen to the promises of grace. Listen to the words that convict us of sin, the sin that leads us to grace and the need for it. Help us be honest with one another in community to confess sin, to admit faults so that grace would shine through in relationships. In other words, applying this gift to all of our lives. Because, Jesus, we acknowledge that it's all gift. It is all gift. And it actually works. We want to praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.